You are listening to a message from Victory Alabang. Get the latest updates by visiting victoryalabang.org or like us on facebook.com slash victoryalabang. We are completing our series on 10. We are finally on the 10th commandment. You've seen this particular title, 10, and the subtitle, Perfect Law, Perfect Love. And I hope that, you know, I think Yang was able to uh, articulate what the, what the heart of the commandment is, that God did not really mean the commandments to be a burden for us. In fact, when He places boundary lines or guardrails uh, uh, in our life, it's meant for us to be protected, and it's meant for us to have greater freedom right within those boundary lines. In fact, you've probably heard of this, and I've been repeating this every Sunday, that the perfect law was given by our perfect God out of His perfect love for all of us. And it was summarized by uh, two greatest commandments, which is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as you love yourself. Now, to give us a quick summary of the Ten Commandments and the spirit behind it, and I believe that by now, how many of you by now have memorized again the Ten Commandments by heart? <laughs> you know, it's very simple. You know, the Ten Commandments, you're going to probably just verbatim, them, just say it out. But, you know, we'd like for you to know what the spirit behind each command. And what's the first command again? Okay, yeah. Yeah, right. <laughs> okay, there's only one God, right? And, um, you know, you shall worship no other gods but Him. The second commandment is all about idolatry. Okay? You shall not make for yourself a graven image. And the, the spirit behind that is no substitute. Everybody say no substitute. We can never substitute our God with any form or image, whether it's a physical idol or an idol in our heart. Amen. And so the third commandment, the spirit behind that is honor God. Okay? Or the honor of God, which is about His name. You shall not use the name of the Lord our God in vain. Uh, the fourth command is about the Sabbath, and the spirit behind that is a day of rest. And not just, you know, how many of you appreciate the rest that God has given to us? You know, once a week we, we rest. You know, Sunday is actually a celebration time wherein we gather together, we worship the Lord. How many of you, this is important for us? You can never replace a Sunday or a time of worship just by staying home or maybe just, you know, watching whatever or maybe resting in a beach. Amen. Because I believe that God has called all of us to come here and worship corporately to Him to give Him honor and glory. But yet, yes, that's referring to one day. But I believe the spirit of this command is really God wants us to enter the rest of Christ. Ultimately, the rest that we need is only found in the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. No amount of doing nothing or nothingness can actually give you and I rest. Okay. Uh, the fifth command is actually on... The importance of family. Honor your father and your mother. That's why we come together right here with our entire family. Number six talks about the value of life. You shall not murder. Number seven talks about the sanctity of marriage. Do not commit adultery. Okay, number eight is talking about the right to property. Do not steal. Number nine is the power of truth. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. And number 10, today we're going to be finishing this Ten Commandments. The heart of the commandment number 10 is the issue of contentment. Where do we get our contentment from? And why is it that people are so covetous 
nowadays. I'd like to invite everyone to stand. We're going to be reading from Exodus chapter 20, verse 17. And since this is the last of the command, Exodus chapter 20, verse 17, we're going to be reading from the ESV version. What's ESV again? Essentials of victory, right? Okay, very good. Okay, or English Standard Version, okay? Ready? One, two, three. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. Let's bow our heads and pray. Father, we pray that you would bless the preaching of your word. Thank you, Lord, that you will change our hearts this day, Lord. We thank you that from this day on, Lord, reveal to us many times how covetous our heart is. And I pray, God, that you would remove from us a heart of stone and replace it with a heart of flesh. Father, we thank you that only you can satisfy the inner longings of our soul. Lord, even as the psalmist has said, as the deer pants for water, so my soul longs for you, O God, and only you can satisfy our soul. Thank you, Lord God. Bless your preaching today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may all be seated. Make sure that you are smiling at the person beside you. All right. You know, this is the command from the Ten Commandments that was repeated, repeated twice. You probably notice that here in verse 17, it was said twice. You shall not covet your neighbor's house, and you shall not covet your neighbor's wife. Actually, the difference between uh, the Catholic uh, Ten Commandments is they have actually separated this into two commandments. The you shall not covet your neighbor's uh, wife is brought to commandment number 9, and you shall not covet your neighbor's goods is brought to commandment number 10. Guess what was lacking? Commandment number 2. Okay? That was, uh, that's uh, all about idolatry. And so, but when you look at the, you know, the, the writings of the Scripture, commandment number 10 is all about coveting or covetousness. Okay? And... You know, the, the history of this particular command is the Israelites just came out of Egypt. They were slaves in Egypt. And how many of you know that when you are a slave, you have no right to property? You cannot own anything. In fact, you are the property. So in their mindset, you know, when they were slaves in Egypt, they had no rights to own, they had no rights to vote, they had no rights to, to, to have anything but they were the ones that were possessed by the Egyptians. And so finally, when God called Moses to deliver his people from Egypt, for the first time, they had freedom. For the first time, they left Egypt with gold, silver, and you know, do you know that? They, they plundered the Egyptians. That particular night when they were leaving Egypt, God said, you are to ask from your neighbors all the articles of gold. And they were leaving Egypt, not just by themselves, but with stuff, with property, with oxen, and with everything that they can actually own. And God is going to give them now a new land, a promised land. And you know, you are to now start living as if you're not slaves anymore. And so God reminded them, now that you are free, you got to be careful with your heart. Tell the person beside you, be careful with your heart. They've been slaves for 430 years. Egypt was in their heart already. It had to take 40 years for them to roam around the desert to take Egypt out of their hearts. That's why this commandment is very important. 
This, as I said, this commandment is the only one that was repeated twice. This is a sin that you commit without committing a crime. In fact, the other commandments, when you commit that commandment, you actually commit a crime. You shall not murder. How many of you know that if you murder, that's a crime? It's not only a sin, but it's also a crime. When you, do a, you, know, when you break the commandment number seven, do not commit adultery, it's also a crime. We have laws for that, right? When you steal something from your neighbor, how many of you know that you will not just, you know, uh, sinning against God, but you sin against other people. You sin against the government. There are anti-theft law, anti-money laundering law, and so on and so forth. But the only sin that we commit without any crime is commandment number 10. Because no one knows that you have it. I have yet to find and hear someone to confess, Pastor, please forgive me. You know, I, I, I want to confess. Okay, of course, you don't have to confess to me. Okay, you confess to God. But, you know, I have never heard anyone open up, you know, I am greedy or I am, you know, I am covetous or, you know. But people do open up. Yet when you talk about this commandment, you know, it's a commandment where nobody knows that you have it except you and God. This is the only commandment wherein only God can judge you, not even your neighbor, because no one sees it. The other commandment is all about deeds. The other commandment is all about action. This is a commandment about motives. Commandment number 10 is the only commandment wherein it's internal and not external. No one knows. No one knows that you have this except us alone, right? No one can read your thoughts. Can you imagine? There's no law. There's no anti-coveting law. You know, I haven't heard of any uh, laws written about that, that you will actually be put to jail if you covet your neighbor's goods. You know, no laws were written like that. In Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 21, it says, You shall not covet, this is from the Amplified Version, You shall not covet, that is desire, and to seek to acquire your neighbor's wife, nor desire neighbor's house, his field, his male servant, or his female servant, his ox, or his donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. How many of you know that? Yeah, maybe nowadays, Pastor, I, I can't really break this command. Why? Because, you know, we don't have donkeys in our neighborhood. We don't have ox in our neighborhood. Yeah, but the fact that you are lusting or coveting the BMW of your neighbor, that's equivalent to an ox. Heller. You know, I, my, 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 uh, my, my girls one time, uh, this, this year, uh, they, they asked for a bike and they said, uh, Dad, we want to exercise. Okay, that's the, the key word. Okay, we have to exercise. And uh, can you buy us a bike? And we cannot just share one bike. We have to have one bike each. Can you imagine? If you have two children, at least, you have to buy them a bike. And so I, you know, I kind of went to a uh, one-bike store in Tabito, um, although I have friends here who owns a bike shop. Forgive me for not buying a bike from you, okay? But <laughs> my budget is only here, okay? So, so I went to a, a bike shop in Cavite and, and found the cheapest bike I can find that can actually fit them because, you know, some of the cheaper bikes are actually too small for them. And so I found this bike. It's not even a mountain bike. It's actually a BMX. Okay? I said, just change the X. It sounds like BMW anyway. So, uh, and so that was their first bike. And so they were happy. I brought them to that bike place. And they were looking at the bike. It was like, you know, 
the dream bike that they would have. And he said, Dad, thank you. We're so happy. We'll sleep with our bikes. You know, we'll, you know. You know, they were just promising, we're going to use this bike. We're going we're gonna to take care of the bike. We're going to exercise with this bike. In fact, when I bought them the bike, they don't even know how to ride the bike. And I said, I don't want to buy you training wheels anymore because I want you to learn on your own. We have a neighbor, uh, Jordan, the, the daughter of Ivy and uh, Sharon, who's got a bike, who knows how to bike, and for... Just one afternoon, for after two hours, they were riding a bike, and they actually knew how to ride a bike. And so, um, the bike that Jordan was riding was a mountain bike. Okay, so you know where I'm going right now, right? And as they were riding the bike, they were so happy. And so, they, you know, it did, they didn't mind the difference of Jordan's bike and their bikes. But after a few days... They suddenly felt that their bike is now heavier than normal. Because I, I guess they, they rode or they tried the bike of their friend and they said, this is much better. You know, we have gears. You can, sh- you can shift the gears from 1 to 9, whereas the BMW, uh, BMW BMX it only has one gear. In fact, no gear at all. And they said, can you buy us a better bike? I said, I just bought you a bike. How many of you can relate with this story? That sometimes we already have something that God has given to us and yet we want something that's better because we've seen it from our neighbor and we said, I like that. You're mine. And this really is the essence of how many times not only do we break the Ten Commandment, the Tenth Commandment, but this is a root of sin, wherein you break also the other commandments. Why do you murder? It's because many times we covet what our neighbor has. And because we can have it, just kill the guy. Why do we commit adultery? It's because we covet our neighbor's wife. We feel like that is a better wife than what we have. How many of you know that that is wrong? The wife, husbands, the wife that you have right now is the best wife that you can ever have because she is a gift from God. Amen. Come on, give the Lord praise for that. You ask for spa allowance later, wives. Okay? Why do we steal? Commandment number eight. This is exactly why we're doing it. It's because of covetousness. We steal, we get from other people what is not ours because of this commandment. Do not covet because I like what is yours. And you know, sometimes we feel so dissatisfied with what we have, though what you have is really better than what many people have. You know, I realize how, how many of you not you and I are so blessed. And sometimes what we look at, you know, there's always... You know, when you look at the other neighbor, you know, you see a much greener pasture on the other side of the, fan, the fence. You know, it seems like things are better there. They have a bigger house. They have a nicer LED screen TV. And now you don't want an LED, you want an OLED, a curved TV or something like that. And so you, we, we tend to compare with other people. You know, this word, Covet comes from this, this Hebrew word. Actually, it comes from two Hebrew words. 
First is kamad or maybe chamad. The reason why you covet is because you're chamad, okay? Uh, instead of working, you're chamad. That's a long and short of it. To greatly desire something beautiful, delectable, delightful, or precious. How many of you know there's nothing wrong with that? How many of you know that God gave you eyes to appreciate beauty? Right? How many of you used your eyes when you first saw your wife? Right? There's nothing wrong with having a desire. Desire is a powerful emotion. Amen. When you desire something, it changes your behavior. Right? For example, you wake up in the morning and you realize you're 40 pounds overweight. And then suddenly you desire to exercise. You desire to be fit because you're now feeling, you know, you have hypertension. How many of you know that desire itself is a powerful tool for change, though it's not enough? In fact, there are some things in the Bible that are talking about desire, but desire in itself is not bad at all. It's neutral. It depends on the object of your desire. When you desire the things of the world, then that's where it comes in. There it's, it's bad, okay? You covet the things of the world. But desiring the things of God is good. The Bible says, 1 Corinthians chapter 30, eagerly desire spiritual gifts. But desire the gift of prophecy. Desire leadership. Psalm 42 says, As the deer pants for water, so my soul longs at I desire to be with God. Better is one day in His courts than a thousand elsewhere. I desire to be in the presence of God. Desire is nothing bad. But why does it become bad? It becomes bad when it becomes twisted, when you suddenly want the thing that is not supposed to be for you. Another word that we like to look at is lakmod. Can you ever say lakmod? I'm not even sure if that's the right way to pronounce it. It's a Hebrew word. To want to the point of seeking to take away and own something that belongs to another person. And this is where it becomes tricky. You desire something that belongs to another that's not really yours. And that's when the sin comes in. Thus, the Ten Commandment is given to prevent the Israelites from being unjustly deprived of their ancestral inheritance because, you know, they have been given a certain boundary or a certain lot. In fact, in one particular commandment, do not move ancient boundary stones. In other words, don't land grab, okay? That's the long and short of it. So in the Tenth Commandment, you shall not covet, God's searchlight moves from actions to attitude. We've seen that in the previous commandments, it's all about actions, it's all about deeds, it's all about you're doing things against your neighbor. Now, the spotlight is no longer on the action. The spotlight is on your attitude, about your heart, about your motives, about your thoughts. Are we here this morning? It moves from motions to motives, from forbidden deeds to forbidden desire. In fact, the Apostle Paul verbalized this particular struggle in the book of Romans chapter 7, when he said this, What shall we say then that the law is sin? By no means. It had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. For I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said, you shall not covet. In fact, do you remember that the law is not meant for us to be saved by observing the law? Are we here this morning? 
That's exactly the purpose of the law is meant for us to know and realize that we are sinful and that we need a Savior. No one can get saved by observing the law. No one. Not even one. Not even your pastors. We can't, you know, and how many of us have broken at least one of the laws? The Bible says if we've broken one part of the law, you've broken the entire law. We've broken. We've, we're lawbreakers. And the, the Apostle Paul is, is mentioning this. In, in, in verse 8, But sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me all kinds of what? Covetousness. For apart from the law, sin lies dead. But because of the law, we become conscious of sin. And I believe God gave us the law so that we can actually draw ourselves closer to Him because we realize that only one person is capable of fulfilling the law on our behalf, and His name is Jesus Christ. Amen. So let's understand what this commandment is. Let's understand covetousness. Okay, let's go to the root. Okay, the root of covetousness. Where did it all begin? It all began, of course, going back to Genesis, the book of beginnings, back in the garden. Genesis chapter 3, verse 6. When Satan tempted both Adam and Eve, particularly Eve, when Satan said, did God really say that you're not supposed to eat this? And he's saying a, a, a lie to, to the devil, I mean to, to, to Eve. And so when he presented the fruit to Eve, in verse 6 it says, When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food, everybody say good for food, and pleasing to the eye, everybody say pleasing to the eye, and desirable for gaining wisdom, say gaining wisdom. She took some of it and ate it, and she also gave some to her husband who was what? With her, who was beside her. We know this. Adam was not roaming around the garden. He was beside Eve when the tempter was tempting Eve. Maybe she want, he wanted to find out, will this woman die after he, she eats the fruit? yes, Parang okay? And so that's the reason why there's been like, you know, enmity between the curse came in and he ate it. What's wrong with desiring for food? There's nothing, how many of you eat every day? There's nothing wrong with desiring for food. In fact, God gave them all the food or the fruit in the garden to enjoy. There's nothing wrong with that. Except for this particular fruit. What's wrong with being delightful to the eyes. God gave us our eyes, as I said earlier, so that we can appreciate the beauty of His creation. In fact, God Himself said after He created everything on the sixth day, He said, it is very good. He looked at His creation with His eyes and saw that everything that He had created is good. Then why is it wrong for Eve to look at this particular fruit. What's wrong with gaining wisdom or having a desire to be wise? How many of you would like to be wise? I love to be wise. There's a blessing of wisdom. In fact, Adam himself was already wise because he was the one who named all the animals during that time in the garden. But yet, in short, the root of covetousness is lack of contentment. 
They had everything that they are supposed to have in the garden, and yet what was forbidden was what they desired to have. God indeed say, You shall eat anything in the garden, but do not eat this fruit from the knowledge of good and evil. That's exactly what they wanted. What was forbidden was what they desired. And how many of you sometimes find a similarity in the way we live our life? Right? What is forbidden, that is what you want to have. Yesterday, we actually had a short bike trip with some of the people from church. And so we went around Dang Hari, Dang Reina, and uh, we ended up eating in a place called Bulaluhan. We said, wow, it's healthy because there's vegetables. Guess what we ordered? We ordered a bulalo, we ordered sisig, we ordered... What was forbidden is what we want. In fact, I, you know, I was checking my BP for the past days and I said, I'm having a breakthrough because my BP is normal. Every day, like this week, it's 120 over 80. Praise God. It used to be higher than that. But yesterday morning, I tried the forbidden fruit. I saw the seasick and it was good for food, desirable for the eyes, and desirable for gaining wisdom. So I took a bite, not just a bite, maybe finished half of the plate. When I went, <laughs> I didn't tell my wife. <laughs> and when I went to the office, our office nurse checked on my BP and praise God it's higher than normal (laughs) let's forget that so we see that the root was desiring to have something that is not supposed to be yours it's interesting that in the New Testament this is the first temptation that happened in mankind lust of the eyes lust of the flesh and pride of life. Everybody say, lust of the flesh. Everybody say, lust of the eyes. And pride of life. In all the categories of sin, you can actually categorize sin in those three categories. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and pride of life. The temptation of Jesus in the wilderness was lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and pride of life. In fact, the Apostle John wrote, wrote this in 1 John chapter 2. He said, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, lust of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, lust of the eyes, and the pride in possessions, the pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. The same temptation that Satan presented to Eve, the same temptation that he used to Jesus is the same temptation that you and I are facing every single day. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and pride of life. 1 Timothy 6, verse 10 says, For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs or with many griefs in another translation. 
You know, it can motivate us. If you have a love of money or a love for money, it can motivate you to do evil. You know, ultimately, when you talk about covetousness, it's a heart issue. It's an issue of the heart. Mark chapter 17, verse 21 or 23 says, For within, or for from within, out of the heart of man comes evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery. This is just a summary of the commandments. Coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness, all these evil things come from within and they can defile or they defile a person. Coveting is a misdirected and controlled desire. You want it and you want it really bad. There's nothing wrong with desires, I said, but it's misdirected already, then you, it produces other sins as well. You know, one uh, wealth coach or financial coach in America by the name of David Ramsey talked about, you know, loving for stuff. And many times our behavior is this. We buy things we don't need with money we don't have from people we don't know to impress people we don't like. And people would rather look good today than have a good life in the future. It's almost like that the motto for today is buy now, cry later. Because you want to look good today, now. Instant gratification. We love this word, sale. It's almost like a cure-all pill. You know, when you're sick in the morning, and when you see an advertisement, for example, you open your Facebook and there's a sale or somewhere, or maybe you open the newspaper and there's 70% sale in a mall. How many of you know that that instantly cures you? Suddenly, if it's just a one-day sale today, wow, I'm, I'm good. Let's look at the results of covetousness. Exodus 20, verse 17. We know this, we've read this. You shall not covet your neighbor's house, so on and so forth. A covetous heart desires to get another person's three categories. Property, people, possession. God promulgated the commandment not to covet because He knew that covetousness is a strong force in our human nature that can actually cause us to sin. When you do covet other people's property, sometimes you do things that are illegal already. People like wife or, ser- or servants or slaves, possessions, animals, belongings, or anything that belongs to other people. In fact, covetousness opens the door to many other sins. As I said earlier, in James chapter 4, verse 1 to 4, it says, What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and you cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. Then he proceeded in verse 4 by saying, You adulterous people, do you know that friendship with the world is enmity or hatred toward God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. And you know, we've seen stories of families breaking up because of covetousness, fighting over possession and money and so on and so forth. In fact, let's go through the first nine commandments and see how a covetous heart can lead us to break each command. This is such a powerful command. Commandment number one, how many of you have placed money and possessions ahead of God? Don't even answer this. How many of us bowed at the altars of materialism and greed while refusing to bow at the altar of the Lord? Commandment number three, 
How many have blasphemed the Lord's name in their efforts to acquire things? Commandment number four, people desecrate the day of rest in order to make an effort to make more money, not out of necessity, but out of greed for gain. Number five, many parents are treated poorly and neglected because they are a great financial burden on their children. Commandment number six, many people get killed because of greed, like robbery with homicide. Number seven, people commit adultery because they've allowed a covetous heart to destroy their marriage. Eight, Stealing is the end result of a covetous spirit that has gone too far. Nine people would be willing to lie or commit uh, or, or slander or perjury because they are envious of other people's positions or possession. In other words, coveting never gets satisfied. You break every command in the book. The wisest man who ever lived has summarized this. Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verse 10. Whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income, this too is meaningless. This is the richest man who ever lived. And he's saying this, I've had everything that I can have and yet it does not satisfy. King Solomon had about, I don't know, 10,000 horses. Can you imagine? How many of you own at least one horse? I don't know how much a horse is today, but he owns 10,000 horses. He would drink from a goblet that's pure gold. In fact, not only is his Articles in his house and his palace, pure gold. The shield of his officials are made of pure gold. That's how common gold is to Solomon. And yet he's saying, whoever loves money never has money enough. You can never be satisfied with all the trappings on this earth. In fact, coveting is a root of all social evil desires that lead to matching action. Have you ever wondered why many politicians, not many, but some politicians commit plunder? Why there's graft and corruption in government? Why there's so much rampant crime in our society? It's because of what? It's because of coveting. Have you ever wondered why China wants the West Philippine Sea? Oh, let's forget that, okay? <laughs> David took Bathsheba. And he broke so many commands. Adultery, murder, lying, cover-up because he coveted for something that was not supposed to be his. At the heart of it, you've got to identify what coveting is. Colossians chapter 3, verse 5, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is what? Idolatry. At the end of it all, when you look at what covetousness is all about, it's about idolatry. And what's the remedy here? How do we deal with a covetous heart? Since covetousness or covetousness is essentially idolatry, we need to go back to the worship of the one true God. To counter the sin of covetousness, which is commandment number 10, we need to go back to commandment number 1. And it's almost like a book ends of the Ten Commandments. And commandment number one really is talking about who God is in our life. Verse 2 and 3 of Exodus 20, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. In other words, what he's saying is, I have freed you from slavery. I freed you from bondage. You shall have no other gods before me. The only way that we can be free from a heart 
of coveting or covetousness is we need to go back and have a real worship of the only true God and have a change of heart. The Apostle Paul said in Philippians chapter 4, verse 11, I am not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content, whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through Him who gives me strength. Through trials and testing, the Apostle Paul went through lack, went through plenty, but at the end of it all, he was content with what God has given to him. J.I. Packer said the contentment that the Tenth Commandment describes or prescribes is the supreme safeguard against temptations to break commandments number five to commandment number nine. But my question for us today is, is it enough for us to be content with what we have? Pastor, I'm not going to look at anything anymore that belongs to another person. I am thankful for the car that I own. I am thankful for the wife that I have. I am thankful for the house that I live in right now. I'm thankful for my job. Is that enough? For us to have no more covetousness in our heart. It is not just about being content with what you have, but being content, whole, complete, and secure in Christ. If you have Christ, you have everything that you need. In other words, it's not just about being content with stuff. Because for me, you know, as I was studying this, that in itself is purely moralistic and self-serving. You know, I cannot survive this earth just by having the stuff that I need right now. We all need Jesus. Amen. Ultimately, He's the only one that can actually fill the void in our hearts. Being content with Christ is the real antidote to get rid of covetousness. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5. Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. And it didn't end there. For He has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. He himself promised, Jesus promised, be content with what you have. I will take care of you. I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. I'll be the one to take care of your future. I'll take care of your needs. Just trust in me. As covetousness, as I said earlier, is a heart issue. We need to address issues of the heart as well. Matthew 15, verse 18 to 19 says, But what comes of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. For out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, and slander. If the problem of covetousness is heart, then we've got to ask the Lord to give us a change of heart. Amen. In fact, He promised that in the book of Ezekiel, Chapter 36, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove this heart of stone from your flesh and will give you a heart of flesh. The desire to covet can be only be broken when we become a new creation in Christ. You know, God can only give us new things or newness of life if we have a change of heart that can only be brought about by a fresh relationship with Jesus Christ. 
if Jesus is the center of our lives and all our desires will be met by being with Him. My final point, the cure for covetousness is really contentment in Christ alone. Nothing else. No other dreams, no possession, no amount of gold, nor silver, no property, nor fame, nor success in this life can ever replace or satisfy the contentment that only Christ can give. That's why I believe even as David has cried out, as the deer pants for water, so my soul longs for thee. May that be the attitude of our hearts this morning. Amen. Father, we humble ourselves before you. We cry out for your grace even this morning, God. Lord, we realize that there are areas in our life that we have been covetous, Lord. And we have desired for things that are not supposed to be ours, Lord. Father, for that we repent. Lord, we ask that you would give us a brand new heart and a brand new spirit, Lord. Even as you promised, our God, in Ezekiel, our God, that you will change their heart of stone and move it into a heart of flesh. Holy Spirit, we thank you that you will draw us closer to you every single day, Lord God. There's nothing really that can compare the satisfaction that we can have just being in the presence of the Lord. Thank you, Lord God, that you will give us a fresh new perspective on how we view money and possession and wealth and things and stuff and dreams and possession and, and even accomplishments in the future, God. Lord, for you desire to bless your people, Lord God, nothing wrong with that. But if the blessings will replace the blesser, then something is wrong with that. Lord, help us to focus our attention on you and you alone. Help us to realize that if we have Jesus in our life, we have everything else that we need, Lord. Lord, even the Gentiles seek after all these things. But Lord, we, your children, will seek first the kingdom of God and your righteousness and all these things will be given to us as well. These are not the things that we need to pursue. These things will pursue us as believers. The blessings pursue us. We pursue the blesser, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Change our hearts even today so that we can be more passionate with you, Lord. We can be fully devoted to you. Indeed, as you said in your command, to love the Lord our God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. 